Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast. It is so great to have you with us today. I am super excited about our very first episode for season two. We are looking at all things Dietrich Bonhoeffer with my very, very, very good friend, Josh Fidel. Welcome, Josh. It's so good to have you with us. Thanks, Layla. It's a pleasure being here. I, I love and enjoy your Eagle and Child podcast. So to be the first one for season two, oh. I'm humbled. So yeah. Let's go. You have definitely been one of our favorite guests, one of our Mm. recurring guests. Mm. Um, Those of you who watched season one would remember that Josh is an absolute genius. He's a teacher. He's also just stepped into a role as a pastor of a church in Sacramento. Um, He also works for Theos University, teaching all things history and politics Mm. and different things like that. Just a brilliant awesome man of God and a great friend. So Josh, it is so good to see you. Thank you so much for doing this episode on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was just saying to you before we started the the recording that I don't know much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer at all. So I am super excited to learn in this podcast from you. Can you give us maybe just a bit of an introduction, a background on how this guy came to be the person that he was, Dietrich? Yeah, so oftentimes he's mentioned and listed as one of the greatest, uh, if not the most influential theologian of the 20th century. Wow. uh, In the whole world. So like Christianity Today, other magazines, other major theologians, they point to him, not just him, but his works. So he's pretty prominent. He came on my radar when I was in Bible college and my professor mentions, of course, his name is tricky to get at first. You're like, because you repeat that? You're like, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because it doesn't roll off the tongue. No offense, right? It, it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And I'm German. So my name is John. German. He's German. Like, I feel Ooh. a kindred spirit with him. But yeah, That's so good. I'm going to actually read. This is uh, from a book called The Bonhoeffer Phenomenon. And this guy has, mm-hmm. I think, um, one of the best. This is like a movie trailer overview of his life. And uh, I don't want to steal credit from this gentleman. This is uh, Stephen Haynes. He says this. Take a young Protestant theological student from pre-Nazi Germany, reared Mm. with all the advantages of bourgeois upper class existence. Give him a year of life in the United States, then plunge him back into Hitler's Third Reich and watch him struggle to be a Christian during the ensuing years of church controversy, Gestapo terrorism, and World War II. Dangle before his eyes the opportunity to escape from all of that, witness his tormented decision and the final outcome, which eventually cost him his life at the young age of 39 years old as a martyr for the faith. So that's kind of a a nutshell of the man and... um, yeah, so um, is is that suffice for you? Because I can get a little more detail, but that's just a quick, like maybe yeah. minute overview who he was for people who don't know. Um, mm-hmm. He died in 1945, um, mm-hmm. and so he still his stuff is relatively fresh. His ideas, his theology, mm-hmm. his books, uh, but he died so young, Layla. You're like 30. Like mm-hmm. that. Remember when I was younger? I found out about him when I was like, I don't know, 25, 26, and I was like, man, 39 is kind of old to me. Now that I'm 41. <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, and he he died at the request of Hitler, right? So Hitler wanted him hanged. 
And he was, he was in a part of an assassination. Hitler had like around 19 assassination attempts from a variety mm -hmm. of people. Um, he was, Bonhoeffer struggled with this decision like, do I need to like, do I become a murderer if I kill a tyrant? Because at that point, the psychoness and the um, the malevolence of Hitler was on display with, with his actions mm -hmm. and with the um, final solution, taking the Jews and the uh, mentally retarded and the gypsies and all people that didn't fit the Aryan blonde hair, blue eyed model. Yeah. So Bonhoeffer struggled, like, do, do I join this assassination tip? Do I join this conspiracy? He joined it, got found out, and Hitler found out, locked him up, and he was hung at 39. So it's almost like um, he's like one of those those Old Testament prophets that just get stoned, get mm. martyred. So, yeah. And uh, didn't he die, like, six weeks before the world war ended or something like that? Something he, really he, close. He died... A month or two before, but the concentration camp he was at, or actually the prison he was at, yep. um, which functions as a concentration camp, that was liberated by the Allies two weeks after he was hung. Whoa. So it's like they were just at his doorstep. He would have been safe and free. Who knows how much theology and more impact he would have had. However, mm -hmm. I know you and I watched that Elvis document, a uh, biop, uh, yeah. we were hanging out Loved two months it. ago. Loved like, it. He was 42 yeah. when he died. And you think, man, what yeah. more could he have produced for the world with music? And you think with Bonhoeffer, like, Lord, in his providence, like, okay, Lord, we trust you. But you're also like, what more could Bonhoeffer have given to the world with theology? And he was no more than just a theologian. We'll get into it too later. He was a very yeah. devoted pastor, loved his sheep, loved his flock. So he just kind of like one of those questions that get irons out in heaven, like, Lord, why did you take Bonhoeffer? Why didn't, why didn't he get liberated? So we just got to trust the Lord's, you know, sovereignty. Yeah, totally. So can yeah. you tell us maybe a little bit about his life's journey and his spiritual yeah. formation and how that sort of happened for him? Yeah. So he was born uh, among eight siblings. So he grew oh. up in a community of a family, which is huge because later he has a very famous devotional book called Life Together, which he yeah. formed at an underground illegal seminary with other men. And it's about like living a Christian communal life with prayer and worship and, and, and repentance and uh, confession. So anyway, he's born a big family. His dad was the very first uh, chair of psychiatry for all of Germany. So highly intelligent family. Uh, one of his brothers became a scientist. Another someone in the family or a distant relative, that's like his first cousin, was an orchestra conductor. Uh, another cool. brother of his was a lawyer. So like just I very... Think he he himself played piano very well, didn't he? He did. He played yeah. piano. Um, very intelligent. So most people in his yeah. family thought he was going to go those routes. And when he chose mm. theology, it was a big letdown. They're like, oh, <laughs> you're going to be a theologian? He's like, yes, the greatest. Like they call the queen of the sciences, right? In the medieval ages. Yeah. So, but his, his dad trained him well. So if the family would have these conversations at the table and they said something that wasn't logical or coherent, the dad would like lift his eyebrow up like, are you sure you want to say that? And so the, <laughs> the kids slowly learned how to think clear and how to think yeah. reasonable. So later mm -hmm. in his life, yeah. most people that met him said he was just wise beyond his years. His dad really trained mm -hmm. that in him. So wow. um, and then his family also, his brother died in the same assassination plot for Hitler. Uh, wow. Two Bonhoeffer sisters, their husbands were executed by the Nazis. So they were living in a very... Um, precarious time mm. um so yeah um he chose theology uh he studied there in university of berlin and this other university but he got his master's and phd at, in theology by the age of 21 
which is just wow. incredible dedication. Incredible. Yeah. And are you chipping yours away? And you know how difficult yeah, I'm I haven't much done older that. than 21. No, no. I'm 33. Oh, so, I still don't have my PhD. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he's too young to be ordained. He goes and visits America. He visits America. He's there for about one year in total. And he joins Union Theological Seminary there in New York, which to his disappointment was very liberal, very like secular. We would call them now like woke kind of Christians. They were just, they had like very unorthodox belief. And Reinhold Nibber, if you remember him, Nibber, yeah. he was there. One of you is actually one of Bonhoeffer's professors there. So yeah, Bonhoeffer exactly. had a teaching fellowship student there. But he was very dissatisfied with the um, the secular churches there. And some of the pa uh, pastors he'd hear preaching on Sundays, he'd church hop. Like, I need to find a church home. He wasn't impressed. He was like, they're not preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. So he joins a black Baptist church. It was oh, a mega church. It had 14,000 people, <laughs> which is like, Let's that's go. huge today. Yeah. Yeah. It was just ginormous. He and he loved the social justice stance that the blacks had. So again, 1930s here. This is before Martin Luther King Jr. came in the 60s of America with the civil rights movement that got a lot of African Americans yes. more equality and more legal protections. So he just he was he wow. was associating himself with the down and outers. One cool thing is he was just fascinated by the uh, by the black worship. So he would buy these like little records of the black worship. When he took them back to Germany, he played them for his students. And they were like, it was so exotic to them because there, there's not many African-Americans in Germany. And so they were like, where did yeah. you get this woman? This is African-American. <laughs> oh, they were like, man, this is like from a different planet almost. Right. Wow. So he was there. Um, and yeah, he was there. Then he went back to Germany. He was very ecumenical. He loved, he's very Lutheran, state religion, big admirer of Martin Luther. He made ecumenical outreaches to connect the body of Christ. So he moved to London for a couple of years um, and, was, and was connecting with the Anglicans there and helping and serving. He comes back to Germany um, and now he's about in his mid, late 20s. He, guess who he meets up with? Karl Barth. Yes. Karl so Barth, him, by the way. Carl Barth loved Bonhoeffer. Oh, he, Barth served as a mentor of sorts to Bonhoeffer. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, those guys connected. Uh, they got to uh, have like a Joshua kind of Moses relationship there. They disagreed on a few things though. They weren't like, mm. like Bonhoeffer, Dietrich was very, um, very certain on his convictions. So on some things mm. he was like, I don't care if you're the Pope or Carl Barth or whoever. This is what <laughs> I believe, what I believe the Bible is telling me. And I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to waver on that. Um, mm. As Hitler was rising to power in the early 30s in Germany, he noticed some of the persecution of the Jews. So that didn't sit well with Bonhoeffer. He's like, if we're Christians, we should be protecting religious freedom. Why, yeah. why are we not helping, you know, in some ways, uh, a distant kindred of our faith, even though they're not the Christian yeah. faith, but like they're the mm -hmm. forerunners of Christianity, the Old Testament. So Bonhoeffer, why aren't we protecting them? So he started speaking out and noticing that Hitler was garnering too much power and was wow. becoming more of like uh, an people that wanted to worship him as an idolatry, idolatrous leader. So the church, Hitler in 1930s was like, look, I need to get the Catholic church behind me and the official state Lutheran church behind me. So he really strong armed both institutions to support his third Reich. So the official state Lutheran church made all the pastors in Germany, which, which Bonhoeffer was swear an oath of loyalty to, to Adolf Hitler. And they replaced some of the crucifixes in the church with the swastika. Mm -hmm. And Bonhoeffer's like, 
this is getting really sketchy and I, I'm fearful of my own church. So what happened was, um, Bonhoeffer said this, he says, I have a duty now to question my state that's doing unethical things. I have a duty to help the state's victims that are being persecuted. And now I have a duty to maybe split from my church because they're not adhering to Orthodox Christian faith. They're wow. becoming a bedfellow with Hitler. So wow. anyway, he, he had this famous metaphor lately. He called it, you, you take a spoke and you stick it in the wheel. So he was part of the wheel. He was a spoke within the wheel, right? of just the revolution the revolving of the German faith, the German state. And he's like, I'm a spoke in the wheel. I've tried to slow that down, but the wheel keeps turning. So you just got to put a stick in that wheel and it just combusts it. So that's <laughs> yes. what he, did. Um, he, he started associating with people that were like-minded that want to break away from Hitler and break away from this official Lutheran church. He was, Bonhoeffer was bold, radical, and trying to awaken the German church to their folly of joining Hitler and his poisonous tentacles that were twisting up the Lutheran church. Eventually, they split. And it's called uh, the confessional church. So about 6,000 pastors immediately said, we're not comfortable with the way the church is heading. They're, they're becoming political allies with Hitler. And we're, the church is supposed to be a separate witness from the state. Mm, so... Six thousand pastors signed. This is called the Pastors Emergency League organization. Bonhoeffer was one of them. They were traditional, biblically based, believing Christians, and about twenty percent of the German pastors left the official state German church, Lutheran church, and became part of the Confessing Church. Wow. Um, Bonhoeffer felt they had compromised themselves, so they were opposed to the Nazification of the German Protestant Church. Um, and even the confessional church wasn't radical enough for Bonhoeffer. So even though he's a part of that church, he was like, yeah. we're still like compromising on some things. Like we need to be more pure and more stern. Um, here's what he said. Here's a famous quote of his lately. He said this, yeah. I want to work. Um, I need to work within from change. Cause people said, if you split, you're not going to be as, as fruitful. That's the same mm -hmm attacking against Martin Luther in the Catholic Church, right? If you yeah. split, you're not going to yeah. have change from within. And he goes, here's the issue I have. I do want to be within the Lutheran Church or work. But he said this, if I work from within for change, it's like this. It's as if I board the wrong train and it makes no sense to run inside the train car in the opposite wow. direction. You don't brilliant. get nowhere. He's like, that's the issue I have. So I'm just going to yeah. jump off the train. That's what he said. Yeah. So um, eventually when they broke away, as Hitler and the Lutheran church were in cahoots now, they cracked down on the confessional church. You're not lining up with the true church of Germany. So him and his pastor friends became um, like outlaws. And they had underground churches and underground seminaries. So he took over an underground seminary and pastored them, loved them. Um, he had a Christian communal uh, community together with a Bible college that, um, that he just trained these young men. And he was so humble lately. He was like, because they said, hey, Dr. Bonhoeffer. He goes, no, 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 don't call me Dr. Bonhoeffer. Call me Brother Bonhoeffer. It's like, dude, you're actually a PhD. He was very, very humble in that regard. Yeah. Um, as the German church and the Third Reich were hunting down these pastors, there was arrests. There was executions. Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of this, Bonhoeffer had crazy depression. He was like, oh, man, wow. like, this is just difficult. I, 
I want to serve my people and I love my country. I'm a patriot, but I don't like the way that Nazism has taken over and engulfed it. What do I do? So a lot of famous people all over the world said this kid's talented. And at this point, he started writing some books and his theological work got out there, Layla. So people are like, this kid's this kid's a prodigy. He's 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 producing theological work, which Karl Barth said he was a visionary in his theological views. So he wasn't the average theologian. People are like, this guy is not the average theologian. We need to get him away from Nazi Germany to preserve him. Just like Albert Einstein and some of the other scientists left Germany because they were getting cracked down on. People said, Bonhoeffer, it's time to leave. So he actually went to America a second time. And he goes, he was flirting later with like, do I just stay here and work from a distance to work change? He was only there for a month. He felt like he was a coward. He goes, if I want to work on the rebuilding of my country, I have to participate in its trials and hardships. Wow. So everybody was telling, even Karl Barth, everybody's saying, leave the country. You're endangered. Your life's in danger. He goes back to Germany knowing his life's in danger, knowing they're hunting wow. him down, right? Um, so, yeah, um, he goes from the confessional church still working that way to a conspiracy. Like at this point, World War II has now started and he sees that when Hitler's attacking these people and invading the sovereign nations and he's becoming more and more um, unstable, he starts a two-front war with England and, and Russia and things are looking good and concentration camp reports are, 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 are trickling back. Bonhoeffer, among others, is like, we got to do something about this. Mm. We think we need to assassinate our Fuhrer, our president, which some people said, I'm not going that far. And he, he had to wrestle with this conscience lately. He had to say, look, mm. is this something that God is happy and pleased with? Like, remember David and Saul, yeah. David's like, I'm not yeah. touching the Lord's anointed. Now, different totally. principles, obviously, Hitler wasn't God's own, but, but the fact of like, yeah. you don't depose the king, God will take care of that for you. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. Well, Bonhoeffer's like, Millions are literally suffering. I, I need to step. I'm not a Christian. That's just a theoretical ivory tower writing books kind of Christian. I'm an active yeah. social justice person that wants to see change that's that's helpful and that has peace in mind. So he became part of these assassination plots and attempts. Like it usually involved like briefcase bombs to, to come up to Hitler and plant it and blow up. So he survived yeah. so many attempts. It one of the ones failed. Bonhoeffer at this time becomes engaged. So he thought he was going to be a bachelor to the rapture, Layla. He thought like, look, <laughs> my lifestyle doesn't, isn't conducive to like peaceful living with a brood of kids. Like he's like, yeah. that's the same thought Martin Luther had actually. There's so many parallels. Luther was one of his heroes, obviously a German. Yeah. You know, they're both German. They're both theologians. They're both pastors. They're both kind of like really staunch in their opinions and kind of like bullheaded yeah. and stubborn. Um, <laughs> Luther was a little more belligerent, but, um, so Bonhoeffer's like, I'm just not gonna get married. He meets a wonderful woman. The only kind of thing people sometimes nit nitpick at Layla, he was 36 and she was 18. Okay. So some people were like, it's a little, you know, too old, but he gets engaged. Um, he's engaged three months and then he gets arrested. The Gestapo comes to his home and says, we want to take you with us. He's in prison for two years. They put him in a couple different cells. One cell was eight by five feet. Um, wow. He starts writing letters to his family and friends. He starts finishing up some books of his, and they're getting out there. He has a chance to escape. 
One of the German Nazi guards, like, hey, you're, you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You're like the famous theologian guy, right? Like, I can get you out. And he goes, no, I, I think my destiny is to be here. And so he did want to escape. He wanted to get married, but he felt like he, he just had a calling to be there and suffer. Um, yeah, um, he, he started ministering, Layla, to other despondent, depressed jailmates of his, like people that weren't Christian, people that were, I mean, most people in these prisons in the Nazi prison system were innocent. They just, some, wow. some trumped up charges of like, oh, you did sedition against the state. You're un unloyal. Mm -hmm. You're arrested. It's like, where's the charges? Where's my lawyer? Where's my trial? None of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So he yeah. was pastoring people in the prison at this time. Yeah. And then as we kind of, uh, preluded to earlier, um, he leads a service he actually reads out of Isaiah and he reads out of Peter about my, by your stripes, we will be healed. He conducts a service mm -hmm. literally as he's finishing the prayer and the verse in Peter is about the resurrection life in Jesus. <laughs> Those were his texts. The Nazi guards come in and say, come with us. They strip him naked and they march him out <clears throat> to the gallows. And a gentleman saw this proceeding. He spoke of it later. He said, Bonhoeffer kneeled down in the snow prayed and with the peace of God upon him he went up they put the noose around his head and they hung him at the age of 39 uh yeah. they put him in a mass grave no no grave marker uh and they burned the pile of bodies um and as we talked about two weeks later the allies liberated that part of Germany as the, the Russians were coming in from uh from the east and the allies the Americans Australians and the English are coming from from the uh from the West and they, they liberated that part. Um, the date was April 9th, 1945. Uh, his last words. So as the, as the guards were grabbing him going to the gallows, he sensed th this is it. Um, and he said this, he whispered this, this is his, his known last words. He said to a, another friend in the church service that he was leading. He said, this is the end for me though. It's the beginning of life. Wow. So, oh my God. Anyway, that's the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, incredible, <laughs> incredible story. I'm actually surprised. Not, I'm not aware of personally. We can Google, go to IMDb, Layla. I don't know any really <laughs> solid good movies on his life. You're like, can I get someone playing Dietrich Bonhoeffer? That story. Yeah. Wow. So, like, oh my goodness. Um, modern day modern. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's yeah. life story. Kind of in a, in a little span. Beautiful. There. Oh, that was. Yeah amazing thank you josh um oh, that's so yeah. powerful what an inspiring life mm. inspiring man um can you tell us maybe a little bit about some of his famous works achievements writings mm -hmm. you were talking about how he's just a brilliant mind a brilliant theologian what was he known for yeah before i delve into that you know i'd like to kind of yeah. put you on the spot question for you <laughs> okay because this is how I found out about Bonhoeffer. My Bible college yeah. professor said, if the president is going wacko crazy, yeah. do, would you find it in your Christian conscience, Josh, would you feel like you would have the authority to assassinate him if they were doing wow. evil and bad? And I was like, man, yeah. I never thought about that before. And he goes, that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's dilemma. dilemma. Yeah. And so yeah. anyway... I had to kind of wrestle with that. Like, yeah, is it ethical? Is it just? Is it right? Is it permissible? Is it Christian? Uh, so I'm just saying, anyway, what do you think? What would your, you don't have to give an answer, but what would be some of your 
contingent thoughts and factors of like, yeah, if I was in that position, what would I, what would God have me do? What would you be comfortable mm-hmm. doing if that was your situation? What do you think? Oh my goodness. I well, know. Firstly, I, don't, I don't know how to operate a gun. So yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be assassinating be one, nothing. <laughs> yeah, you might not be the one that pulls the trigger, but you could be involved yeah. with like, you know, the, the conspiratorial yeah. part. Um, wow. What a moral and ethical dilemma. Oh. I don't know. And these, yeah, these guys, this is what they had to deal with. And I, th- I think in, mm-hmm. in studying Karl Barth a lot, you know, I've studied Karl mm-hmm. Barth and, and these guys like Bonhoeffer and stuff, the world that they were thrown into theologically was a very liberal theological world. Yeah. And so, right. you know, these people who had disconnected, you know, the life of Jesus from that mm-hmm. spiritual experience and stuff and so i think that yeah first and foremost i'd probably take the the scripture yeah (laughs) and yeah and say okay like do i have any sort of theological Mm. backing for this i think there's that whole idea of just war and you know augustine and all of those historical takes on that Mm. um that i'd be delving into and then i think i would At the end of the day, to be honest, like with everything that I do, I'm very led by the spirit. And so I think I would want to walk in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, have prayer meetings about it. Um, and Like Gideon, lay out a fleece next day. Lay out like five or six fleeces, Lord, just to double check. You're sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And try and hear from God. So, Yeah. yeah, I think those are the things that I would do in terms of like trying to make a decision on Mm, something like that. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You also go back to the martyrs of, you know, Mm -hmm. the ancient Near East and and Jesus day and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, you didn't see them overthrowing governments and stuff. So I don't, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. It'd take me a long time to try and work it out. What about you? Oh man. Um, I, I would, um, yeah. If that's like what you said, what you said is so key, spirit led, like my inclination mm-hmm. to yeah, take that dude out. Um, but the spirit doesn't want me to do that. Um, mm-hmm. th- then I suffer. I mean, Hebrews 12, right? Like the chapter mm-hmm. of faith, the first portion, we love that part by faith, mm-hmm. Abraham, by faith, David, they overcame, mm-hmm. overcame. But then mm-hmm. Paul, whoever the author of Hebrews is, the last part of chapter 12 was like, by faith, some didn't receive the promises in this life mm-hmm. and they were beheaded. They were martyred. So like, mm-hmm. I'd like to think I'm part, I'd love to be part of the first half. Like, yeah, we overcame and saw victory. <laughs> yeah. in my life. Sometimes yes. you don't, you're, you're the, the portion of people that don't get to see it on your side. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'd be spirit led, see what the Lord would want me to do, but, um, I would, but I, Bonhoeffer had some pacifistic tendencies. Yes, this is where you're going to do later. I love yeah. your format of, of your podcast, like different themes you hit. One of the themes of his impact, which I'll give a teaser for is he's all over the map on some social and theological issues where it looks like he's super liberal on this issue, but he's super conservative on this issue. So one example, the juxtaposition is he was largely a pacifist, um, but yet he still felt he was compelled to uh, join this conspiracy plot to assassinate Hitler. It's like pacifists don't do that. So he he walks the tight line on something. He's really hard to pin down on some Mm. things, but I I would personally, but of course, but, Yeah, after World War II, people saw the real um, colossal evil that Hitler was. And now looking back, 2020 hindsight, oh, yeah, I would have assassinated him. But people didn't quite know the full extent at Bonhoeffer's time, 1944. Um, Mm. So 
I would say I'm inclined to say I would, but I, I don't know for sure. We'll, we'll, who knows? But um, it makes you do that ethical dilemma makes you do go. Yeah. What would I do in that situation? Though? That's what's so yes. cool about history. You put yourself in their position like and that just gives you practice when God has for you and me in this lifetime. Like, wait, yes. I've had practice of these scenarios. Lord, what do you want me to do? So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think that the. the the idea that you would just go out and assassinate them just based on your feelings and stuff is like, yeah, yeah. of course everyone would want to kill Hitler. So we're yeah. not saying we wouldn't want to kill him. It's yeah. just, yeah, how how would you come to that decision of actually yeah. pulling a trigger? Um, and and feeling you do, like you're making the moral decision that's in line mm -hmm. with, you know, your Christian belief. Yeah. And when you do, you know they're going to come after your family and your loved ones yes. and they're going to imprison yes. and execute them. So it's not like, oh, I'm just going to kill Hitler. It's like all your loved yeah. ones, you have to think about them too. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it's a famous theological question of like, what would you do? Like, what would a Bonhoeffer do? So um, to go back to what you were saying earlier about his works and achievements, um, for all the listeners watching, Layla actually mandates that I bring props to the podcast. <laughs> like, you have to have a book. You better show me some material. I'm like, absolutely. Yes, that no, no, she, she's too kind to that. I just geek out. Okay, here's his most famous work. Yeah, great. Awesome of discipleship. Yeah. I read this in Bible college. Once my professor, I want to give a shout out to Ken Ross, my Bible college professor, a mentor of sorts to me. He's the one that put Bonhoeffer on my radar. Never heard of him. And once he told me that dilemma, I was like, huh? He goes, you should read Cost of Discipleship. I'm like, okay. I read it. I'm like, I'm just wrecked. This was my go-to book. I would just give people, you know, the five wow. love languages. I'm a gift giver. I just give, give yeah. gifts. I always give that one until I read Orthodoxy by Chesterton. Now I give that book out instead. Sorry, Dietrich. But anyway, this used to be my go-to book. Great book. So he has the famous line in there where he says, um, when, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Yeah. That's his famous quote. So that that goes, what he was facing, Layla, I'm gonna, we'll get into this in the impact of Bonhoeffer. Mm. What he was facing in 1930s Germany is eerily similar to what the West is facing, especially America, in the church today. Loose, yeah. liberal, wishy-washy yeah. Christianity, greasy totally. grace. So he, totally. he juxtapositions the two phrases. There's cheap yeah. grace and costly grace. And I want to read an excerpt here. Ba basically, his, his book is a treatise on the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous moral teaching in, in all of human history. Even those that aren't Christian respect the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and here, I'm going to read this portion here. This is, this is the very opening chapter here. He says this. Cheap this is the first line. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap belongings. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, the consolations of religion are thrown away at dirt low prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace wow. without price, grace without cost. How about this line? Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Whoa. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution wow. without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, the living and incarnate God. 
costly grace. Now he's going to flip-flop. Cheap grace. The church is just cheap yeah. grace. Your best life now. Jesus is going to make your life 10 times better. Mm -hmm. Prosperity gospel, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. The sake of it, a man will gladly sell and go and give everything that he has. It is the pearl of great price for which a man will buy with the merchant and sell all his goods. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Here's the best part, and I wrap up with this portion. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. And he quotes the scripture, you were bought with the price. What costs God so much can never be cheap for us. Above all, it's grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us costly grace is the incarnation of god so this book is very very profound um it yeah. wrecked me in bible college i give it to people they're like oh my goodness it just it, it really sobers you up and it makes you think like you know when you read raven hill or augustine yeah. Layla or aquinas luther anybody like that's just the lion of our faith like mother Teresa's, you know diary anything you just feel like a pipsqueak yeah <laughs> your faith, you're like it's so I'm true you're like, I'm not even like an I one iota. You get that feeling from this. And he wrote this in his uh in his mid-20s. Wow. Um, late 20s. Um, yeah, anyway, that's cost of discipleship. Highly recommend that. Now, his magnum opus is called Ethics. Mm -hmm. He never quite fully completed it. He was finishing it up in his jail cell before he wow. was executed. Um, his his question here is this: he's answering the question: what's the role of the Christian in the modern world today? Because you're not living in a vacuum, right? He's like, you have yeah. politics, government, church, marriage, your job, your vocation. Mm -hmm. All of these are swirling around. How does a Christian function that? Um, mm -hmm. He actually talks about natural law. He felt like the Catholic teaching had a really good teaching on natural law. And he started talking to some of his Catholic friends. And he really incorporates what does natural law look like for a Protestant? Um, mm -hmm. His question was this. It's not, he says, people that ask this question ask it wrong. If they say, how can I be good? How can I do good things? He goes, eh, wrong question. Your real question should be, what is the will of God? That's what he mm -hmm. says ethics is. That's the true that. He says all yeah. things appear as in a distorted mirror, mm -hmm. as if they are not seen and recognized by God. So I'm going to read a portion here. He says this, the knowledge of good and evil seems to be the aim of all ethical reflection, right? What's good? What's mm -hmm. bad? This is what ethics is about. The first task of Christian ethics, however, is to invalidate that knowledge because it's not about good and evil. It's not about that, which is like, wait, what are you talking about? Wait, yeah, what? Yeah, it totally like it catches you on your heels. Like, wh mm -hmm. where are you going with this? And he says this mm -hmm. in launching this attack on the underlying assumption of other ethics, good, evil, Christian ethics stands so completely alone. It becomes questionable whether there is any purpose in speaking of Christian ethics at all. But if one does want to speak about Christian ethics, that can only mean the Christian ethics claims to discuss the origin of the whole problem of ethics and professes to be a critique of all ethics simply as just lowercase e ethics. So he talks about that. He just says, 
Um, mm. Christian ethics discerns a falling away of the distance between God and man. In the Garden of Eden, as soon as man separated mm. himself from God, there's a whole different line of ethics that forgets about God. It's a moralistic life. And, and, and Bonhoeffer's like, you can't even live that. We're not even talking about being a good person mm -hmm. and tithing yeah. and going to church and loving your family. I mean, all that's good. We're not antinomians here. But he just said ethics is zoomed out big picture. It's like, what is God's will? That's what's ethical. He didn't really yeah. try to be apologetic like a Rabbi Zacharias mm -hmm. or something like that. He's just like, dude, that's what real ethics is. So yeah. fantastic. It's, it's a little dense. It's a little dense. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, great book. That's really cool. Here's the one I was telling you about. This is his one on communal living, life together. Yeah. And Very one cool. man said this about this. It's a devotional classic. Again, the context says he's living in community in an illegal seminary, being hunted and chased by the Nazis, living a Christian life with these young guys and teaching them, fostering and building authentic Christian community. It's only 100 pages. Um, and and a man said, that, no, wait, that's a wrong quote. I was going to use a quote for that. But um, he just said, look, we have to have a rhythm. He lived as a, as a monk, as kind of an ascetic man for, for a few months in one of these monasteries. So he, he, he was familiar with the pattern of Christian daily activity. So he introduced personal prayer, communal worship, everyday work, Christian service. And a lot of people say, I've read just parts of this, not all of it. A lot of people compare this to Paul's epistles. Wow. So Paul's letters is like practically how does a Christian with their family, with their church, in their society, how do they live out this life as a follower of Christ. That's mm. what this book is about. It's read similar to like a Galatians or an Ephesians or a Corinthians book. So that's Life yeah. Together. Really good Very book. Very cool. Um, another one is, okay, these are based on two lectures of his. Yeah. This is called Christ the Center. It's, it's Christologically profound. You have a, a hyper intellect like Bonhoeffer feasting on who is Jesus? What is his work and mission? Mm. What is his identity? Um, it's a series of lectures. Sadly, it's it's three lectures. The third lecture is lost to us. So I don't know if like the the um, the uh, the thought was maybe that just that those notes got lost or he never gave the third lecture. But he, I really recommend this book. This is incredible. Um, great great book here on just um, yeah Christ as being the center of of all theology, all church life, all Christian living. Um, yeah, that's that. Now, this is the book I was gonna have, I have a great quote for. This is so, yeah. another series of lectures. He did a commentary, Layla, on Genesis 1 through 3, creation mm -hmm. and the fall. And mm -hmm. it's powerful, it's really good. And one theologian reviewed this and said, There is more in this 100 pages of Bonhoeffer's book than an entire theological tomes. Every word is weighed, every sentence fits. So he just analyzes and comments on Genesis 1 through 3. So it's really professional. So if ever I have to preach out of there or I'm talking about that, I'll flip through here and like steal some gems. Yeah. I give him credit because everything he says is just profound. You know, here's the thought I had on Adam and Eve. And I was like, no, it's not my thought. That's bothering. <laughs> yeah. It's really profound. Um, yeah. He goes through the spiritual and the physical temptation in the garden. There was both, right? Mm. I mean, the fruit was physical, tangible. Right. And there was yep. a spiritual temptation. Don't you want to be mm. like God? Yeah. yeah. Physical temptation. Eve saw the fruit. It was desirable to look upon. She mm. yearned for it. Physical temptation, spiritual temptation. Bonhoeffer really jumps into that mm. and just talks about it. Cool. Um, now, this is kind of the sad one, Layla. This is like his letters and papers when he was in prison. So one of his best friends, Eberhard Bethch, 
who wrote a very famous biography. The definitive biography on Bonhoeffer is this one. So Eberhard Bege was his best, best friend. Um, he was writing this here. Bless you. Thank you. Bonhoeffer, there's letters in here. There's prayers to his fellow prisoners he'd write. There's letters to his uh, fiance, to his other pastors, his family, his daily activities, how warm his heart was for other people. He would just write here like, the man next to me in the cell is just depressed and he's going crazy. I'm going to minister and take communion with him today and just talk with oh, him and counsel. Just his heartbeat shows here. Wow. He actually muses on theological matters. So things he wrote about, like cost of discipleship <laughs> or ethics, he would say later like, Man, I want to I wanna go back and revisit that and expand that chapter. And then he talked about future theological pursuits he wanted to explore, which is so sad because, like, he, he never got the opportunity. He never made it out of that prison. So this is good. If I didn't recommend one book out of all of them, though, obviously, Cost of Discipleship. In the German, it's called Nachfolge. Um, just a mm -hmm. phenomenal, powerful book. Um, yeah, those are his works. And um, the last thing, two things I want to mention. In the in this prison cell, his best friend Eberhard got married, and Bonhoeffer thought he was first of all he's going to be a best man, but he's also going to be the minister. Didn't get a chance to, to leave. Uh, obviously, he wrote out like it's called a wedding sermon from a prison cell. You oh, can Google it. It takes like five ten minutes to read. It's really it's really powerful. A lot of people read it at their weddings. The, his his yeah. musings on what marriage is, and and it's just. It's beautiful. So if people want to get into that wedding sermon from a prison cell, Bonhoeffer. And last but not least, he wanted, his dissertation was on act and being. Like, mm. be still and know that I am God, is what Psalm says, right? That's being. Mm -hmm. Lord, I, I'm in the Imago day. I need to just, just chill out. For, for those type A people, which I'm one of them, got to get <laughs> things done, have a to-do list. Let's just bust things out. I want to get things accomplished. Be still. Know that mm -hmm. I am God. Rest in my goodness for you. Mm -hmm. And then that's act and then being. Bonhoeffer's like, there's lots of work to be done, right? As Martin mm -hmm. Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. be active in the community. Help the dis, dis, uh, proportionate, those, those that are suffering. Yeah. Help those that, that are needy. Help your fellow saints that need mm -hmm. your, your presence. So act and being is this famous dissertation. You can jump into that. Um, cool. so anyway, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot again. Out of all of those I mentioned, uh -huh. are any of those, obviously cost of discipleship is the one people should read. Any one of those catching yeah. your eye, Atlanta, like, man, if I had to pick one besides yeah. cost of discipleship. Well, I, I need to read, I, I need to read cost of discipleship through. I've only read excerpts for college and stuff before. Yeah. So I need to read it through. I still haven't mm. done that. Um, uh, I, the other one that caught my attention when you were talking about it was just the, um, mm. The letters from prison one. I think that's mm. like just so powerful. Yeah. And I, I'm heaps into the martyrs at the moment and, you know, like being challenged ah. by their lives and examples. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just think just getting into someone's head when they know that they're, you know, about to die and, mm. and how they're thinking and how they're outworking their faith and their relationship yeah. with Jesus yeah. in that time is um, mm -hmm. something that I just want to know more of and that I feel is so potent and there's such a deep intimacy with yeah. Christ in that. So, oh, yeah, man. I just that that's what I'm exploring at the moment. So yeah. I think I would go to the letters, but the letters would one. Love to, yeah. yeah, yeah, to go to the cost of deception. Okay, can I read a quick prayer he wrote? Um, yeah. This is him, like, being despondent. This is in his um, <clears throat> letters, prison. Oh, God, early, and he wrote this for his fellow prisoners. So it's not just him. He wrote this, and they would sing it, and they would pray it together. 
Oh God, early in the morning, I cry to you. Help me to pray and to concentrate my thoughts on you. I cannot do this alone. In me, there is darkness, but with you, there's light. I'm lonely, but you do not leave me. I'm feeble in heart, but you are there to help me. I am restless, but with you, there is peace. In me, there's bitterness, but with you, there's patience. I don't understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Lord Jesus Christ, you were poor and in distress, a captive and forsaken as I am. Captive, forsaken, arrested by the Pharisees. So is Bonhoeffer, arrested, right? Mm -hmm. You know all man's troubles, but you still abide with me. When all men fail me, Jesus, you remember and seek me. It is your will that I should know you and turn to you. Lord, I hear your call and I follow you. Won't you help me? I mean, just... Yeah, that's just one little inkling there. But um, you really get to see, again, like you mentioned, when you see someone's like letters and diary or whatever, it really is like a total like pull back the curtain of what their soul is going through. Um, yeah. Very humbling stuff. Very humbling stuff. Beautiful. So good, Josh. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. So yeah. um, what do we need to know today? And how can Bonhoeffer's work and his life sort of inspire and equip the church of today. So what can we yeah. learn from him? What can we take away from him? How can he speak into our culture, our mm -hmm. situation right now? Yeah. What sort of impact do you think he's he has made and he should be making in our um, context right now? Yeah. So his, his legacy and his influence, it grows more and more as the decades go on. He's German, right? He's not even yeah. um, uh, on the, uh, for me yeah. as an American, but people know him. And like I mentioned earlier, he was so ecumenically active. Mm. He built bridges across so many different you know, chasms of the Christian faith. So Catholics love him. Orthodox yeah. love him. Um, yeah. He obviously Lutherans love him and evangelicals love him. And even like liberal Christians love him because he had a social justice bent. Mm. Conservative yeah, Christians love him because he was orthodox um, those that are like activists, um, those that are like, um, they want to like rise up and, 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 and march in the streets. They love him because he was in a conspiracy plot to assassinate Hitler. Yeah, so gosh. his life was so, um, broad. There's something in his life for everyone to kind of grab. This is what this, yeah, the premise of this man's book is the phenomenon of Bonhoeffer is everybody claims him. His yeah. influence has like, it's like a spider web. It just touches on everything. In fact, the famous book, if people can't get Eberhard Bethage's book on Bonhoeffer, mm -hmm. the second best book, I wouldn't call it a second, it's like one and then like 1A, is the famous Eric Metaxas book. Yeah. Bonhoeffer, Pastor Martyr. Did this recently come out? Yeah, it, it came out, uh, yeah. I'm going to say 2011, so almost about okay, 10 years ago. Super recent. Um, it must have been a different one that he was doing that I'm thinking of. Okay, I think you're thinking of the, um, he had a Martin Luther book that came out on the 500th year anniversary. Maybe um, that's it, yeah. <laughs> 2017. But, yeah, so this book too, but he, he talks, look, pastor, that's someone's life vocation for, for hundreds of thousands of people. Prophet, that seems like a secular, I'm sorry, a separate vocation than just being a pastor. Prophet, I'm sorry, martyr, not many people... Get, yeah. get to die and be a martyr. Like the um, precious in his sight is, is the blood of is, of his saints, right? Like as, as God yeah. says, like to be a martyr. I think Paul talks about there's a martyr's crown. There's a separate crown mm -hmm. that you get to wear in heaven if you're a martyr for the faith. 
And then he was a spy. So mm-hmm. he did all this in the span of just four decades, Layla, 39. So his influence goes wide and far. So one one person I was reading about says, I don't know if you're familiar with the Rorschach test. Have you heard of those things? Yeah. It's like those ink stains, ink blots. And people say, what do you see? Oh, I see a oh, butterfly. Oh, yeah. I see a turtle. <laughs> I see a oak tree. It's like it's and really. And you can tell if you're a serial killer if you just say. Yeah, that. you're like if you yeah if you like see certain things. The, the psychologist is like interesting. Uh, you know, I need back a cold place. Yeah, yeah, cold place. So what? Somebody compared Bonhoeffer to a Rorschach test, and that his his yeah, image yeah. and his life can be interpreted mm. so many different ways, and none of them are really wrong. So he was liberal conservative. He was a theologian, but he was a pastor. Those aren't mutually exclusive views, right? East and West enjoy and appreciate him. Protestant Catholic. He's a pacifist, but he's also an activist. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's voted upon as part of the most top two or three influential theologians of the 20th century. His book, Cost of Discipleship, is usually top five, top ten most influential books in, in, uh, in, um, in the 20th century. Um, he paid, here's what sets him apart though, Layla. He paid for his theological views and stances with his life. Mm. So he didn't just pontificate and theorize. He, he lived it out. Mm. That's what's so powerful about him. Um, he didn't, he, he believed that philosophy was helpful, but it became abstract intellectualism and theology itself needs to be practical. That's what's a huge uh, impact of his life is he modeled it so well. Yes, he's studying theology and writing these incredibly passionate, theologically deep books, but he's in the streets, in the gutters, in, in smelling like sheep. And so that, that's one of his influences too. Um, his prophetic critique of the liberalness of the church in Germany is totally relevant for today in the West, right? Which mm-hmm. I'm going to drop in the book, and I, we just mentioned to you. This book came out like a couple weeks ago. Eric Metaxas, who wrote the book of Bonhoeffer, has this cool. book called Letter to an America, the American yeah. Church. And the, in the interleaf, it says this. The author of the best-selling biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Eric Metaxas, reveals the haunting similarities between today's American church and the German church of the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Echoing the German martyr's prophetic call, Bonhoeffer, he, Metaxas, exhorts his fellow Christians to repent of their silence in the face of evil. So anyway, his legacy is still with us today. Um, he's, he's a theologian that's also inspirational. Now, most yeah. usually, let's look at this example, Layla. So like a Max Lucado, Philip Yancey, they write inspirational stuff, right? You read their stuff, mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, Wayne Grudem, right? A famous theologian. He, he's a theologian. He has systematic theology. His stuff is more doctrinal. It might, maybe isn't quote unquote inspirational. Bonhoeffer was both. His theology was enough for people to go, whoa, that guy's got theological chops, but his legacy is also, and he's inspirational. Usually those aren't the same because you have to simplify things. And whereas theologians are very, um, the minutia, it has to be perfect because you're dealing with doctrine. Mm. Bonhoeffer was like, I don't, I don't mess with both worlds. I am both worlds. So that's kind of what he did. Another thing for today, Layla, he would be today, if I can say this, um, I I believe this, he would not be a Christian nationalist. So that's been picking up steam the last several years, especially here in America. Mm. So Bonhoeffer said, look, um, I, my, my state, my country has failed me 
and my church has failed me. And when they got in cahoots to one another and people said, if you are the church, you're with the state and the state is the church. If you're not on board with that, you're not a real German or you're not a real Christian. Bonhoeffer rejected that. So yeah. he talks about that a lot. He says, the question is really this, Christianity or Germanism, right? And he says, the sooner the conflict is revealed in the clear light of day, the better. So he's like, it's not Christianity or Germanism. It's, it's really, it's like, it's, it's none of those two. It's the real church, the confessional church. So today he would not be keen on supporting Christian nationalism because he, he lived it and saw the dangers of it and said, that's not the way to go. Um, yeah. The impact he has for today, Leila, he was very religiously tolerant. He supported Jews. He, he hated seeing them get persecuted. Uh, again, his ecumenical stance is a model for us today. I think Francis Chan today is kind of modeling that. Like Jesus in his high priestly prayer of John 17 said, Father, they need to be one as you and I are one. Bonhoeffer believed that. He was like, I want to unite the body of Christ as best as I can. Wow. That's a legacy he has wow. with us too. Um, he was also friends with Martin Niemöller, a pastor in Germany. And you maybe heard of this quote, Layla. This ties into religious tolerance. Where Martin Niemöller said, first, the Nazis came for the socialists and communists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. I wasn't a socialist. Mm. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they, the Nazis, came for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me. Yeah. So the point of that being is like, when your fellow man's rights are being violated, right, mm -hmm. you speak up and stand up for them, whether it's a Christian right or not. So that was Martin Niemöller, and that really reflects what Bonhoeffer believed and supporting the humaneness of, of the fellow people walking the streets with him. Um, mm -hmm. um, last but not least... I think Bonhoeffer's legacy and impact for us today, Layla, is um, he reaffirmed that God is not interested in our success, but in our obedience. Yeah, I mean, wow. He wouldn't think of his life as a success. He was like, I'm in this jail cell. I'm engaged. I'm not even 40 years old. There's so much more I want to do and see and do for the kingdom. And God was like, son, now, now is your time. Um, and kind of like Jim Elliott, the missionary guy that got killed, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's thinking like, this is not your will. What's happening? I'm supposed to be a missionary. And little did he know his wife, Elizabeth Elliott would take his story. And, and the impact of his life was more because of his martyrdom at a young age. That's yeah. the legacy of Bonhoeffer. Like we're talking about him now on a podcast. Eric Metaxas <laughs> has these books. Like people are invested in this man to this very day. And I feel like that was because he was obedient unto death mm. as so his life yeah. cut short. It's like, oh, I'm not a success. No, you were obedient, and obedience is success, um, mm, even absolutely. though it cost you your life. So that's one of his other legacies, too. And again, he's hard to pin down. His legacy can go in 20. Like, Layla, I know you and I went out one time in San Francisco, and we saw these, like, I think they're black um, oh. Jewish Christians. Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, And then they're yeah. black Zionists, black Zionists, Zionist, and they're like, yeah. They were like Jew and Christian and me and you were kind of like, I don't know if that squares away and it doesn't. So, but yeah. if those guys were to claim Bonhoeffer, I wouldn't be surprised. And just like you go down the street to like the Amish people on the little farm, they claim Bonhoeffer. You go to the social justice warriors, they claim Bonhoeffer. You go to the hardcore Calvinists, they claim Bonhoeffer. Like he's so, um, he's like a, uh, what's the word I want to say? Um, 
He's like the wind. The wind just expands <laughs> and touches on trees and people and the grass and the wheat and the waters. Like Bonhoeffer, the, the winds of his influence, they touch everything. So that's his legacy really is he's kind of a jack of all trades in that regard. Um, yeah, anyway, that's kind of his impact and legacy. In Beautiful. My so good, Josh. Um, do you have any favorite quotes from any of his works or anything that he said that you like? I do, and I, I, I rattled off a few already. His most famous yep. one, if you were to Google quotes, is I, I would put you on the spot, but I'm gonna be nice to you. But I was gonna say, what was that quote in Casa Salvation? But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. when, when Christ calls a man, fill in the gap. He bids him to your best life now. No, sorry, Joel Osteen, our brother in Christ. <laughs> he bids him to unlimited bank accounts and finances. No, Creflo Dollar, our brother in Christ. No, Kenneth Copeland, no. No, he bids him to come and die. Yeah. You die to yourself. So Bonhoeffer, that his whole book thrust was on that. And then he didn't just write about it. He lived it. He's like, you think yeah. I'm that's theory for me? I'm gonna yeah. give my life and prove what I was saying. I was believing in from the get-go. That's a quote. How about this one? Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act, it's to act. So he felt like his confessional church and other Germans that didn't leave the confessional church, but were the state Nazi Lutheran church, they didn't speak up and attack Hitler. Um, they didn't take a stand and say, dude, what? There was a confession, it's called the Barman Confession, which Karl Barth mm -hmm. was a part of. But the Barman Confession yeah. was trying to bridge the gap between the confessional church and the Lutheran Nazification church. And said, look, brothers, let's come on some essentials and we can really be the church in this time of World War II as our country is the instigator of this, of this war. Those hurting people all over, let's come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, they, weren't, they weren't interested in that. And Bonhoeffer's like, you guys, you're not speaking up and being manly Christians. That's evil. When you see evil and you do nothing about it, God is going to hold you accountable for that. Wow. So that's one of his quotes that speak to that. He says this too, Layla. Your life, oh, this, this one's convicted. Okay, are you ready for conviction? Because conviction is going to come. It's convicting for me. Facing myself. <laughs> I know. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Wow, beautiful. And I hope my life does that. I don't know if it does, but he's like, dude, you should be living in such a way where atheists are like, maybe I got it wrong. Look at Layla's life. Look at Josh's life. Look at that guy's life. Like the way he lives his beautiful. life, like, that's attractive Christianity. Bonhoeffer's like, if you're not living that way, then maybe you're not living the way you should be as a Christian. It should be um, a magnet of the faith. So another quote of his, he said this, um, fundamentally, we feel, by the way, he wrote this in his, in his prison time. Fundamentally, we feel that we really belong to death already and that every new day is actually a miracle. Wow. So yeah. if you think of it that way, like I'm a dead man. I'm yeah. dead. God might take me tomorrow. He might take me yeah. next year, next decade, whatever. It's like, Lord, I'm dead. I'm going to be with you. you know, Paul's like, dude, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Yeah. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But Bonhoeffer's like, you're a walking dead man. And every day you live after that, it's like, okay, that's a miracle. I get to live yeah. the gospel and, and live this life and just be, be, be salt to people. Mm -hmm. So that was his quote. Last quote I'll give you is this one. This is a heavy one. Good one. He says, it is much easier for me to imagine a praying murderer a praying prostitute than a vain person praying. Nothing is so at odds with prayer as vanity. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. Because mm-hmm. the fact that you're praying, I'm going to give some commentary on this. If I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but when you're praying, it's like you're admitting helplessness. Like, I need you. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't praying, I got to figure it out on my own, my own strength, mm-hmm. my own ability. I'm praying because I'm weak. Um, I'm depressed. I'm just, um, I have no energy and I'm confused, whatever. I'm praying to, to lock in with you. So Bonhoeffer's like, mm. there's no such thing as a prideful person that prays. It's impossible. Yeah. You have to be wow. part of the pretext. And the first principle of prayer is I'm needy. Mm. So he just said like a praying prostitute, a praying murderer, that makes more sense than a praying prideful person, which reminds mm. me that quote Jesus said lately, you might have to back me up here if I'm wrong, but like, he told the Pharisees, the prostitutes and the taxpayers, they get in before you guys. Like, what? Mm. Like, yeah, they, they have a heart of humility. Whereas these guys were so mm. prideful, they felt like, we have the Mosaic Law figured out. We, mm. we, we're we never wrong on any doctrine. He's like, dude, that's prideful. So that's one of his, um, one of his favorite quotes of mine, personally. Love it, Josh. All right. So we usually, in these episodes, as you know, we... Um, finish up with a fun fact or an interesting fact. I know Bonhoeffer didn't have the most fun time. So um, you can really take this wherever you want. Uh, But maybe some interesting facts, something that we didn't know about his life, anything that you want to throw in there. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You and I were chatting about that. Like, I hope there's some fun facts. I know because his life is pretty hardcore. He was actually a pretty jovial guy. He He was known as a very serious man. But he loved to tease and mess with people. And for me, like, I like to do that with people. Um, and so, like, when I read that, I was like, oh, it kind of makes me feel better. I'm not the only one that did that. Cool. So I'll give you some facts <laughs> that are fun. And then I'll, I'll end on a pretty pretty hardcore fact. Um, okay. Played the piano, as you referenced earlier. He was very athletic. Um, so he wasn't a pansy theologian Christian guy. He's a very manly man. <laughs> um, he was known as being extraordinarily kind. When he gave presents to people, it was very, very thoughtful. Um, he was known as being really intense and fearless. Um, he spoke clear about his convictions all the time. People mm-hmm. thought he had a problem with relaxing. So his intensity was so much, people were like, oh, dude, you need to chill out, right? <laughs> um, so that's a fun fact is like he, he was wound up pretty tight. But you look at the culture he was in, the burden that mm-hmm. God placed, the calling to fulfill. Yeah. Like, yeah, sorry, the guy's not going to be, you know, chilling out and relaxing, maxing all cool, shooting some people outside of school. That's a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air quote. I don't know if you watched yeah, that. TV I got it. I Australia. picked it up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He was a man of culture. Uh, his life is constantly littered and flooded with visiting operas, museums, concerts, plays, exhibitions, and movies. He went That's to the funny. movie All Quiet on the Western Front which is based on a famous book, which is very an anti-war book on World War I. And when him and his buddies saw All Quiet on the Western Front, after that movie, he decided to become, I don't want to say a full-blown pacifist, but he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a pacifistic life. So he, there was danger of him being drafted in the German military because he's a German young guy. And Hitler's like, I'm calling up guys in the draft to go fight the wars. Yeah. He didn't want to be, a, if you're a conscientious objector, he would get thrown in jail. But he, he kind of finagled and weaseled his way out of being called. But he's like, I'm not going to pick up a gun. I'm going to be a conscientious objector if I have to, but I don't, I don't want to go that route. But um, mm. another fun fact is uh, I mentioned it earlier. He finished his doctoral dissertation in 18 months, and he finished it at the age of 21, um, which is pretty crazy. It's, it's called uh, Sanctorium Communio, a dogmatic inquiry into the sociology 
of the church. Um, wow. The fun fact to him is he loved kids. <laughs> he would teach these children's classes at different churches, and he felt bad because the children would sneak out of the other teachers' classes and come into his <laughs> class. Cute. And the teacher teacher, hey, you're stealing my kids. He's like, I don't mean to steal your kids. They're just they're coming <laughs> to me. Sorry. He loved Aww. kids. Um, he loved hard kids. There's a there's a story there where he did ministry to like street kids, rough wow. kids. He was like, let me let me at him. In fact, he was being in, he was going upstairs several flights of stairs to go to these young like juvenile delinquent just heathenistic kids. And as him and his pastor are going upstairs, the pastor is going to introduce Bonhoeffer. The kids up top are throwing urine and feces down on the on them. Oh my gosh! So as he's going up, he's like, "Man, most people like I'm not going to go upstairs. I'm out of here. Let God find someone else to minister." But Bonhoeffer didn't. He didn't phase. He wasn't phased by that. He went up, and he immediately wins him. He immediately his charisma. He he could be charismatic when he wanted to be. But he did not want this to be like a one-man show. He, he he did not want the cult of personality. All these books on him now, I personally, I don't think he'd like it. He'd be like, no, it's, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. So he was very careful about not letting his, his personality uh, be too much. Here's a funny story, which I'm going to tie into one of our mutual friends in a bit okay. with Gabe Tokyo. So okay. he had a 20-year friendship with a friend who yeah. said that within the first five minutes of meeting Bonhoeffer, he was immediately arguing with him. And he said, we started arguing the moment we met. And he goes, in our 20-year friendship, we never stopped arguing. And he said this. Yeah, about who does that remind you of? 100%. Oh, totally Gabe Finocchio. I argue with Gabe all the time. I just visited Gabe Finocchio, our, our friend, our buddy, our theosophy colleague. We've been arguing ever since Bible college. So I was just down there recently, and Nathan was like, hey, what would you and Gabe do? I said, we're up till 3 in the morning. Nathan said, what were you guys doing? I was like, we were arguing. We were just arguing the whole time. So this <laughs> man funny. said this about Bonhoeffer. He said, you could not be a friend of his unless you argued with him. Mm. So, and again, he argued ideas, not people. But he was yeah. so um, polemic, not, not in a pejorative way, but he just loved to wrestle with ideas and argue and debate. So that's mm. a fun fact. The guy loved to argue. He had, a, I don't know if this is a fun fact, but he had a really violent temper. Um yeah. He was ashamed of it. So he was like, hey, man, I, I have a bad temper. I feel really bad about that. Um, he never gave them to self-pity. When he was in prison, he was repulsed by other prisoners that just, like, like had self-pity. I mean, he ministered to him. But he was like, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. So that's an interesting fact of his. Um, another fun fact. Uh, two more here. Gandhi wrote him a personal letter. So one of Bonhoeffer's friends knew Gandhi in India, 1930s, right? 40, that's, that's Gandhi's time. And Gandhi found out that Bonhoeffer was doing like, he was a pacifist, but trying to work for change in his country. And Bonhoeffer was scheduled to go visit India. And the pastor's like, hey, I know this guy named Gandhi. Let me hook you guys up. You guys can connect when you're in India. Bonhoeffer's okay. So there's actually a letter that exists of Gandhi riding out to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who really wasn't really famous at the time. Bonhoeffer only got famous after he was really martyred, right? And his story, right, yeah. proliferated. So Gandhi wrote a letter to Bonhoeffer, which is pretty cool. Uh, cool fun fact. Uh, last fun fact, which I'm going to remove the word fun. It's not really a fun fact, but it just, it just shows. It's a good illustration, Layla, of his radicalness. Um, okay. Early 1930s, he gave a radio lecture slash sermon where he critiqued Hitler as a false leader. 
Mm. He said, any man that wants to be a leader that craves people to worship him and, and, and to act on his every word as if it's a word from God, right, mm. is a man not to be trusted. His radio address got cut off. They took him off the air. Like, he was in the middle of his talk. They cut it off. Um, he, he just, he didn't mince words. Um, he wasn't really antagonistic. He just, he was a truth teller. He's like, he didn't, he didn't go on there to stir things up. The stake of stirring things up. He's just like, mm. I'm just going to, I see truth. I'm going to speak it and let the chips fall where they may. Um, mm. so just a wonderful man. Um, yeah, if people, if they could just get a, get an inkling for him and just to, just to visit him. There's so many people, you and I both know I me. Mean, we're both nerds of church history. There's so many people. I've recently got into John Chris Austin. I've never got into that guy. Started yeah. read his works. Well, I know you and I were talking. You're going to do a yeah. Theos class. Maybe you've done it already. I think Layla, correct me if I'm wrong, on Carl Barth. And me and you were like, yeah. okay. I haven't really read yeah. much about Carl Barth. Yeah. There's just so many people, not enough time to live life, but he's one person yeah. if I can impress on people with Augustine and Luther and Calvin. It, He's just Bonhoeffer's a guy because he's so he's so um, relevant. Uh, Rick Warren said his reading of church history is spaced out this way: twenty five percent of his reading is the early church, another twenty five percent of his reading is the Reformation, the other twenty five percent of his reading is the last one hundred years of church history, the other twenty five percent of his reading is current modern day church topics. So, so Rick Warren's like, most people I know, all of their reading is like, what books come out now? He goes, you have yeah. to span the church history spectrum. The issues they're dealing with is what we're dealing with now. So, mm. so for Bonhoeffer, for people to jump in the past, re read ancient theologians and, and medieval theologians. But if people need to read a current-ish theologian that's not like 2022, read Bonhoeffer. Because the way he describes the church then and his remedies of hardcore, costly discipleship mm. costly grace being radical and you read it you're like that's what the remedy and antidote is for today 2022 wow. in the western church so wow. he was a prophet in that regard too so highly recommend bon Eifer. i hope mm. you and others can start up to just jump into him in any shape any measure awesome well thank you so much josh mm. um if people want to find you how can they find you if mm. they want to chat to you more about bonhoeffer history yeah. whatever um how can they find you yeah two things one um, my email is josh at theosu.ca. So they can email yeah. me that way. Also too, as you know, I was very, um, what's the word? Um, ambivalent about jumping on the social media, but you I have, we strong armed you into it. <laughs> I know. And you know, my, my you, burner account too. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. I know. So <laughs> my Theos account uh, for, uh, is Theos. Athenaeum, Theos Athenaeum. Um, and I just post things that I feel like are just um, helpful for the church, helpful for people to digest, um, meditate on. So, yeah, they can go through that on, on Instagram, Theos Athenaeum, or email me uh, at josh at theosu.ca. And just, yeah, I'll be happy to steer, guide, direct. I just, I'm a fellow geek out person with other believers too. Like, let's just geek out and let's just find out all these people. Like, again, you're so wise with this Eagle and Child podcast. Like, there, there's people that have lived a life in such a way that should make us be stirred up to live all the yeah. way for the Lord. Like if it comes down to studying Bonhoeffer or reading scripture, I need to study scripture. If it comes yeah. down to prayer time in the closet or reading about Bonhoeffer, I need to spend time in the prayer closet. But reading a man's life like this, Layla, it just, it just spurs yeah. you and me on others. Like I need to live yeah. radical like that. And when you and me get to meet him, I'll be like, bro, 
thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your testimony. Yeah. Thank you for your legacy. Yeah. Thank you for your sacrifice. Like you don't know how many people you've inspired to live yeah. radical. So yeah, thank you for your for your so podcast cool. that, that hopefully Aww. gets people talking about people in the faith that have lived in the past, man. Come on. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us today as well. And for everybody who's watching, listening to this, thank you so much for joining us, talking about Bonhoeffer. I pray that this has been inspiring to you, that you have just had a great time listening to, learning from Josh. And I hope that it can really give you something to implement in your own life today to go out and change the world for Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for joining us. I'll catch you next time on the Equal and Child podcast. See you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.